This, this is the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on smartphone, or on smart speaker. This is Our Auto Expert, where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with truck girl Jennifer. Now, our conversations in the car on the way over here is she's not answering any questions because I'm going to use it on the air against her. Exactly. Can I hear you? Are you on? Hello. Oh. Sound... It sounds like I can hear you in the room, but I can't hear on the microphone. Anyway, it's a good thing your mic's not turned on because... uh, So, uh, Jen has decided (laughs) that uh, talking to me in the car is something that you don't want to be a part of because every time you open your mouth, then it becomes sad. And uh, we have a really hard time with, uh, with you saying things that you don't mean to say. So I said, how is the new BMW M8 convertible? And Jen was like, I'm not just saying anything. It's beautiful. (laughs) Your uh, engineers are working on your mics to work out why your mic isn't working. Hey, it's the beauty of live radio. You've got to love it. Try that one over there. That would work. Um, Anyway, so there we have it. Uh, What else is going on? I will tell you. We have a packed show today. We're changing up the way we do things on the radio show. We're going to start with talking to a few people. We're also going to talk to Craig Patterson from Ford. He's here to talk about the new Edge ST line. Uh, Adam Lovelady will tell us about the new Sienna. They just announced a brand new Toyota Sienna. Mercedes E-Class 53 Coupe uh, is... A very beautiful vehicle, Brian Cotter, joining us to talk about the E-Class E53. And we'll be back here with J.D. Power's numbers, J.D. Power numbers, to talk about how uh, J.D. Power is looking as far as uh, sales figures in the United States. Are we bouncing back after everything? COVID-19 disabled a lot of things, too. So that's uh, that was a tough one. Now, oh, we like to, to make sure that we cover veterans and we do a lot for veterans in the United States. Uh, one of the things with veterans is that we really, really like to make sure that they get great employment in the auto industry and so in a second we're going to talk to uh, Jeffrey Jennings who's the senior manager of technical training for the Americas uh, for Volvo and uh, Volvo have been working on a whole bunch of really cool stuff to uh, to make sure that their guys actually get or the veterans actually get employed um, I have been test driving a couple of vehicles one of them we're going to talk to um, Anton Warman about, but three-row SUVs in the United States have gone absolutely crazy, and uh, they are selling like hotcakes. We'd think that COVID-19 would put uh, a sort of a slowdown on some sales of certain vehicles, but trucks, large trucks, medium trucks, three-row SUVs are all selling immensely well, and we'll find out more about that. Uh, But I want to talk a little bit about taking care of the veterans in our community. Volvo gives U.S. veterans the opportunity to apply their skills in in the auto industry. And uh, they have taken on these veteran technician program, prioritizing U.S. military veterans and the National Guard and reserves to make sure that they get the training they need once they get out of the service. So Jeffrey Jennings joining us today to talk about this. Uh, How did this idea come up? Uh, Jeffrey, about bringing veterans into the training program? 
Well, well, as you probably know, um, there's a shortage of technicians in a lot of different areas of the business, and not only in the automotive industry, but also in the airline industry. And um, so we're all clamoring for the same kind of skill set. And as vehicles become more complicated, we need people who have the diagnostic capability to do that. And veterans who are working in the aeronautical services or in motor pool or in M1 Abrams tanks have a lot of that diagnostic skill. Um, And so they're a perfect match for us. And not only that, the discipline that they have, the drive and the passion for doing the job right the first time is exactly what we need. Are veterans as a group of people underserved by training programs, you think? Uh, yeah, I think at times they probably are. Um, you know, it's, I mean, they've got, they go through an extensive amount of training, obviously, in the military, whether it's web-based or hands-on training. And so, um, but our vehicles, as you've driven them, are becoming ever more complicated um, to work on. And so we need people who have that diagnostic capability to work on them. Tell me a little bit about the training program, because we have plenty of uh, members of the military who listen to the show. Uh, We are broadcast in several cities that have big military bases. Uh, So tell me a little bit about uh, the the length of the training program and what sort of things that Volvo will teach them. So we're going to start them out uh, in two different levels. So quality level technician, which takes them through... um, basic electrical fundamentals, uh, how to use our systems or our diagnostic systems, which we call VITA, um, and then all of our process and procedures in the workshop. In addition to that, they're going to go through hybrid training um, because uh, by 2025, 50% of the vehicles that we sell are going to have some electrification platform. And so we want them to be trained up on how to work on those vehicles. Um, So they go through four weeks of intense training on those two levels, and then we place them with a mentor in the retailer really for about another uh, eight months or so just to make sure that they're really bedded into our processes and that they get the instruction that they need to um, before we sort of set them loose completely on the vehicles that we, that we work on. Where does this uh, take place? Where is the location of the training? So we're going to start out in our Dallas Training Center that's going to be purpose-built uh, for that program. Then it will move to the Charleston uh, facility and then uh, our Irvine facility. So um, really those sort of three facilities to begin with. And and we'll run 10 programs a year uh, between those three facilities and 12 students per program. So the, the ratio that we have in the classroom setting to vehicles and to instructors, we'll have two instructors on the program, will be quite good so that they can get a lot of hands-on experience and then kind of walk them slowly through the learning that they need to go through because the normal technician cycle would go through that amount of training in about 10 days. Um, but we're taking four weeks to kind of take them through. Uh, tell me how many, uh, veterans will get to be part of this program. Well, we want to start with a target of 120, uh, a year, but we have a need for about 400 technicians a year. So, we have, in addition to the veterans program, a, a younger person's program called SAFE, which is uh, through UTI. We'll get approximately 60 to 80 through that. So really, I mean, if we could get 180 or 200 uh, veteran technicians a year, that would make me very happy. What's the qualification for a, a veteran to be part of this? Do they have to come out of a specific uh, branch of the military with specific skills? Do they have to have certain qualifications before they come in? Yeah, they do. They need to have gone through um, either they're working in motor pool services um, 
Uh, like I said, the you know perhaps the tank, the heavy tank division, M1 Abrams tank, uh, the aeronautical divisions that work on the Apache helicopters or some of the uh, uh, you know the Air Force uh, equipment. So because they already have a lot of the skill set or have been trained up in those areas, and they will have to go through an initial assessment to make sure we've got the right skill set matched to what we want to do. I, I, I'm sure there's a great TV commercial in there somewhere of some guy working on a, uh, an Apache helicopter and then working on a Volvo car. Um, it looks like I, I can see it in my head already. I'm creating it for you. Uh, that, what, happens, what happens to these guys when they graduate? So let's say 120 guys come out. Do they have a place with Volvo? Uh, do they make an, uh, they have a, a spirited application with Volvo? Do they come through a Volvo dealership? How do they disseminate into Volvo dealerships? dealerships from here? So the way we work the program is we have three recruiters around the country. Um, we sign up a retailer that's a hand raiser that says, I need a technician. Um, those recruiters go through a full background check of all the veterans that raise their hand and go onto the website that they want a, a placement, and they match them to a retailer from the very beginning. Oh, good. And then they go through the program, and then when they come out, they're already sponsored by a retailer. They already go to work for that retailer in the mentorship program. Um, and then they come out in the end already placed. How does, how do, I mean, it's expensive. You're building a building for this. You have 120 people going through a classroom situation. That's not, uh, that's not free. And then you have instructors as well. And I'm sure uh, Volvo cars need to be uh, used for these technicians to practice on, et cetera, et cetera. So how is this finance? Is it worked in with a GI Bill? Uh, or is this a donation? Or is Volvo uh, putting forward all the money? How, how did this get set up financially? Uh, so we charge the retailers $6,000 for each placement. Now, that offsets some of our costs. Right. But then Volvo Cars probably doubles that investment uh, by each uh, technician that we put through the program. So we're making a really heavy investment into it because we know that the long-term gain in that, in satisfied customers and qualified technicians, is well worth the investment for us. If we know a veteran who wants to be part of this program, uh, what's their application process? So if they just go onto our website, uh, volvocartex.com, uh, and uh, apply online, uh, our recruitment team will reach out to them and go through the assessment and the background checks and start getting them through the process immediately. I love that. We'll post that also on all our social media sites as well, making sure that people have a way to uh, get in and be part of this program. I also know fairly young technicians, too, who would jump at the chance to work uh, at Volvo. So we may have uh, set up a link for them, too, so they can get into uh, the younger person's program. Uh, Jeffrey, listen, thank you. And thank you for honoring those that have served our country. And thank you for taking some time to train those people and spending time with us on the show. More Hour of Expert on the way. Uh, a few things I want to tell you about that are coming up on today's show. Um, we have a beautiful car that was wor is worth about $177,000. No one listening is probably going to be buying this vehicle. But I want to tell you all about the BMW M8 convertible because... It's definitely something I want a poster of on my wall. Plus, we have something pretty special happened over the last few weeks. We now have added a whole bunch of radio stations around the country. So I'd like to welcome Ohio, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, uh, Arkansas, Alabama, Florida, Indiana, Illinois, um, 
We also want to welcome Tennessee, Virginia, Pennsylvania. Uh, we're already in Washington, Oregon, and we want to w welcome Michigan, uh, Louisiana, Massachusetts, and uh, also Florida, Florida as well. Wow, that's a huge list of new listeners we have. So we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 new radio stations on the network. Welcome to America's Car Radio Show. This is our auto expert. Coming up, stand by. We're going to find out all about this brand new Ford ST line and also about Toyota Sienna. You're listening to our auto expert. Catch up with previous episodes of the show at our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all past shows, see our automotive videos, and read insider car stories about your next ride. Our Auto Expert is where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com. I have enjoyed very much going on launches of sporty, cool, fast vehicles. Uh, being able to tell everybody about them, driving them through windy roads. And every time you hear about a brand new one, it's even more exciting. Uh, now Ford are introducing something that I think is excellent. It's a new ST-Line vehicle. Uh, Ford want to show off the ST-Lines of their Edge. And of course, joining us is our friend Craig Patterson to talk a little bit about it. Uh, Craig, thanks for giving up part of your uh, weekend to talk to us. So explain to me where the ST-Line falls in the trim levels of the Edge. So the idea is that, you know, the ST is kind of your full Ford performance version. Your ST line has the looks of the ST, but not all of the powertrain and performance upgrades um, of it. So it's for those people that really want that great look. So it, it falls. We have, a, we have a base edge SE, our mid-level SEL, and then our top-level luxury titanium, and then ST. Um, ST line is is based off our mid level SEL um, and starts at around thirty eight thousand. So one of the things you've always done really well at Ford is making vehicles look look super sexy. But once you start putting on high end uh, racing parts like uh, brake calipers and engine tuning and suspension, it does push the price of the vehicle up. So presumably the ST line is a reasonable price too. Exactly. Exactly. So. For, for people like, like you and I that really value that performance and the, you know, the high speed, we're willing to pay for that. We're willing to pay the price to have the, the, the high-performance engine and the performance brake linings and calipers and sports tuning, all of that good stuff. But there's a, a segment of the, of the population that um, either doesn't value it or can't afford it, wants that great look just the same. So, yeah, this is a, a, the ST line's a great value for them. It's $5,600 less than an ST, um, but it has that great look um, and the performance that the, those folks are looking for. I think one of the, the gauges that I have on a vehicle, I don't know if you're the same, Craig, but one of the gauges I have is my uh, kitchen sink uh, in the, it has a window above it, and that window looks out onto the driveway. And so when I make coffee every morning, I look out at the vehicle sitting in the driveway and go, huh, yeah, I'm not sure I'd own that green color or uh, that. Yeah. You know, it, it might drive amazingly, but I like to be able to look out of a car, and especially, you know, when I'm going shopping uh, to the supermarket or to the, uh, you know, 
Home Depot or Lowe's or something, and I shut the door and I walk into the store and I turn around and take a glance at the car, I like to feel like, you know, I made a great decision and it looks really good. Yeah. So this is really sort of for that image, for the person that likes it neatly put together and likes it to look a little aggressive. But at the same time, I, I drove the ST Edge and it's not hard to get into trouble because that thing's quite powerful. Oh. It, it sure is. It sure is. Yeah. You want to you wanna have a vehicle that you feel proud of that's not just vanilla, that's not just um, like everyone else's. Um, you want to be able to feel special about it. It's a big investment, and you want to look good and make you feel good um, when, you, when you see it and you walk up to it. What's the engine available in the ST, uh, the ST line? So it's, the, it's our two-liter EcoBoost. Um, so uh, it's the standard engine in the, in the uh, Edge. Um, with an eight-speed transmission, um, so 250 horsepower. Um, and, Reasonable, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it, it does it does just fine, um, and for what most people are looking for, and then still delivers a good fuel economy as well. One of the things that uh, the uh, Pilot 360 is one of my favorite things that uh, the Driver Assist Plus program that Ford has is that come on the ST line. Yeah, the all of our Fords now are standard with Copilot 360. So yeah, we've got a lot of the great safety features, especially blind spot monitoring. People love that, um, and then autonomous emergency braking. So somebody brakes in front of you, and you're not able to brake in time, the vehicle will will, will brake and slow down for you. Even with pedestrian protection, if someone were to step in front of the vehicle, um, it'll stop. So yeah, um, lane keep assist, lane keep warning, lane departure warning auto high beams and uh, uh, a feature that's becoming pretty standard but really valued uh the rear camera yeah and of course apple carplay android auto all the all the bells and whistles that you'd want in your vehicle right part of sync 3 yeah. as well uh listen craig tell me when people can actually uh, order this or when people can uh, can start receiving some of the st lines yeah, we we just put it onto our website on May 26. So you can go to Ford.com right now, configure it, start um, ordering it. The dealers um, are taking orders on it right now, and we'll, we're just starting to produce it. And so it'll be showing up at dealers probably late June, early July. Can't wait to test drive, test drive one. Craig Patterson from yeah. Ford, uh, always great to have you on the show. Thank you for taking some of your weekend out. Uh, just a few show notes here. Um, I'm going to tell you a story in a little while about a vehicle that saved my dad's life. Not once but twice and there's a new version of it coming out we're going to talk a little bit about that also uh, get the opportunity to talk to brian cotter he's the amg product manager from the e-class amg mercedes-benz we want to talk about the e53 coupe and cabriolet I am super excited about cabriolets this time of year. We get such a small window to drive uh, convertible vehicles in the United States. We want to take every opportunity to do that. And one of the cool things is I'm going to have two of them in my driveway this week. So uh, luckily to say I have mounds of hair on the top of my head and I will be letting it down in the wind. Uh, so we'll be able to talk about the Mercedes uh, M8 convertible and also a very cool vehicle that is was announced at the LA Auto Show, we were supposed to travel down to Monterey to get a test drive the vehicle, which is the LC500 convertible. Lexus's LC, which is their high-end sports car, they've made a convertible. So we'll be test driving those over the next week or so. Stand by. We've got more Our Auto Expert on the way.
You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. This is our Auto Expert Radio Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can start a conversation with us. Uh, ask us a car question or direct messages at Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert is where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. And welcome all the brand new stations, 16 new stations in all. We're glad that you're listening to Our Auto Expert. All right, so um, a few years ago, my dad had a 2002 Toyota Sienna. And he was stationary at a light and was rear-ended at 50 miles an hour. And the cop said to him, if you had been in anything else, you may not have survived that accident. The car was totaled, but my dad was so insistent on buying a brand new Sienna that we went out and bought a 2008 Sienna. Um, and he still has that today. Uh, he has got sideswiped uh, by another vehicle where they said the same thing to him when he was in his Toyota Sienna. And he remains true to the brand. So I was pretty excited when a new Toyota Sienna was announced. And uh, Adam, love lady, joining us on the phone to give us all the skinny about the new Sienna. This has been a staple of the Toyota lineup, hasn't it, Adam? So it's back again. Uh, are you excited about because I sure am. I am. Yeah, we're we're really excited to to bring this next generation. It's been uh, a while in the making, and you know those are those are great stories. And not only is this new Sienna safe, obviously safety is uh, paramount and a priority for us. But it's beautiful and it's chock full of high tech, fun features for everybody. So one of the things I thought was very notable about it is it's really an American minivan, even though Toyota's obviously originally a Japanese uh, company, but engineered and assembled in the U.S. Yeah, well, so even, so it's three three parts. So the design from the exterior and interior was done at our Calpi studio, which is in Newport Beach, California. It's engineered in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it is built in our Princeton, Indiana plant. So it is a full American story, um, not only the ones we will sell here in the U.S., but we will also export, you know, uh, CNS around the world, also coming from Indiana. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, bold design because it's, it, you know, a lot of times we get these vehicles that are very sort of unexciting, I would say, is the best way to put it. Uh, but you've really sort of made some outstanding design cues, uh, especially on the front end of this. It looks very muscular and very bold. Yeah, we that was a, a key role for us, right? And, you know, the world is ever-changing, and we wanted people to not only be able to, you know, haul kids to and from practice at the grocery store, but to be able to live a active lifestyle. And then we wanted something that some would be proud to own. And the same people who designed this van designed the Supra. So yeah, there's lots of fun, exciting characteristics. You know, there's a lot of body lines, which you're not used to seeing on the side of a minivan. It has that, uh, the nose has been raised and they tried to incorporate as many SUV like looking characteristics as possible. Uh, the one thing that excites me, because, of course, fuel economy is something we always like to have and also saving the environment, uh, this will now come with a hybrid as well. Correct. So exclusively hybrid. There's no way. It only comes in hybrid, which we're excited about. So hybrid front-wheel drive and hybrid all-wheel drive. Um, so all-wheel drive has been a staple for us in the CNS segment. We had been, up until like last week, the only all-wheel drive uh, van available, and now we're the only hybrid all-wheel drive van available. 
Uh, one of the things I think has always been super positive uh, with Toyota is their safety systems. And you be, you're putting the Safety Sense 2.0 in a lot of your smaller cars, but now it's moving up to the bigger vehicles, and this minivan's going to get that. What does that give the customer? Yeah, so the uh, Toyota Safety Sense 2.0, we've had several iterations of uh, Toyota Safety Sense, right, and making that standard on basically everything we sell. But this is the latest and greatest System. So we have six features that are packaged together under the Toyota Safety Sense umbrella. So a pre-collision system. So if, you know, hopefully everyone's paying attention. But if not, the car's got your back. You know, and it can it can automatically apply the brakes to prevent or slow down a collision ahead for a vehicle, a pedestrian, somebody on a bicycle. Um, it's got lane departure alert. So if you start to veer out of your lane, it will give you an alert and bump you back in your lane. It's got automatic high beams. It's got road sign assist. It's got lane tracing assist. So when you're on the highway and using the adaptive dynamic radar cruise control, it will make constant steering input to help keep you in the lane. Not full autonomy, just there as kind of a, a co-pilot or a backup to help you. So, yeah, all the latest and greatest safety technology, there uh, standard. So you don't have to pay extra. You don't have to get a specific grade to get all that. Um, we, we've prioritized that. You know, and blind spot monitor is, is standard on CNA. I love the fact that van life is becoming kind of sexy again. A lot of people, especially now with travel reduced because of COVID, people now looking to do RV vacations or van life vacations. And uh, uh, we have seen this on vehicles before, the onboard vacuum, which this is going to come with. But I don't know anybody that has a refrigerator, especially in a minivan. Uh, so now we have a refrigerator on board, which really supports man life. And it tows. Exactly. So van life uh, is something we're, we're leaning into. I have three kids and, you know, um, had been fighting getting a minivan, but it's all new <laughs> and, you know, it just checks all the boxes, right? Uh, and it's so good. So, yeah, we have the vacuum, we have the refrigerator, and it's not just like air conditioning blowing over a box. This is a genuine refrigerator that nice. works like the one in your kitchen, and it, it's two stages. So it will either cool um, – or it will freeze. So you can even, you know, be sub 32 degrees in this in this cooler box that we have. I, I like that idea now because uh, I can go out in the wilds in the middle of nowhere. And uh, and the vacuum's always good, too, because I have five dogs. So uh, dog hair is always a challenge. I have a GX right now, and uh, it's always really tough to try and get the dog hair out. I wish there was a vacuum on the inside of those. Swagger life, as Jen is telling me now. Swag Equi wagon. Yeah, swag wagon. Uh, they're <laughs> equipped, equipped with the facelift, uh, you know, the towing capability, too. So making it more all-wheel drive and an adventure vehicle. But but 3,500 pounds, so you could tow a, a, a trailer or skidoos or something behind you. Absolutely, right. Uh, yeah, so all of it together, right, the, the seats lay down. You can still fit a 4 by 8 piece of plywood. That was a specific question my dad asked. You know, uh, we got <laughs> roof rack, crossbars. You know, it has the tow hitch, 3,500 pounds. Um, yeah, that, that's a big, we see a big movement. Not only is there, you know, van life, but there's another one called van culture, um, that kind of leans into the tuna market. And these, these people love and are excited about it, and they want to go explore, whether it's going to a music festival or going you know, to a national park. 
it doesn't have to just be kids. It can be a bunch of friends getting out and uh, experiencing the world together. So let me ask you these questions. Uh, excited about this coming. When will drivable versions of this be arriving at dealerships and for media to actually go out and experience some of this new van life in the Toyota Sienna? Well, probably like everyone else's life, you know, uh, COVID has impacted a lot of things. So we're expecting that van earlier this year. Um, but that's been uh, pushed back. And so it'll be late this year that we'll, we'll see these at dealers. So maybe in time for a travel next year sometime, they'll be in dealerships around the end of the year. We're we looking for something like that. Yeah, or, or bring one home for the holidays, right? Get a big bow, something like that. Well, you know, the big bow is always great, especially uh, because Toyota and Lexus always have the big bows on their cars and the dealerships. However, I will tell you that uh, road trips are a big deal, especially around Thanksgiving for families. Uh, does this lend itself to a, to a great road tripping vehicle? Absolutely. So not only do we have all the things that we talked about, you know, and uh, with Toyota Safety Sense, some of those driver support aids that take some of the stress um, and fatigue off the driver, you know, but we have a nine inch audio system. We have available 12 speakers, 1200 watt JBL system. We have CarPlay and Alexa and oops, I said that and activated the one in my room. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, uh, Android auto and we have Wi-Fi built in and there's seven USB ports. You know, there's super long slide seats. Um, we have that have an ottoman that will pop out. We oh, have nice. a 1080p, you know, dual entertainment system. So yeah, this is the master of all road trips. If you pull those long side seats back and the ottoman out, grab your chilled beverage, watch a movie. You, you feel like more like you're in the back of a private jet than you would in a minivan. You're selling me on this, too, especially since I could probably put a dog gate up halfway down and have the dogs in the back and uh, sit there in the front or in the second seat and have someone drive me around. That sounds like a fun vacation, too, as long as I can vacuum the dog hair out as well. We'll, we'll look forward to it. Um, I'm guessing that we'll probably see uh, more about these vehicles coming in the fall where we can actually test it out and tell everybody uh, more about how it handles and how it drives. But hopefully the COVID-19 uh, pandemic doesn't impact the production of this too much, uh, especially since it's American designed and built and engineered. So we look forward to having the opportunity to test drive it as well. Adam, hey, thank you for spending some of your Saturday with us. We look forward to seeing the brand new Toyota Sienna coming up. Still on the show, uh, I want to talk a little bit about some of the vehicles we've been driving. Three-row SUVs, the sales are booming. And we've been driving a uh, Toyota uh, sorry, we've been driving a VW Tiguan, which uh, comes in either two or three rows. We're going to tell you a little bit about that. If you're in the mood for something extra sexy and extra fast, the E-Class AMG E53, uh, the Coupe and Cabriolet are available. Brian Cotter from AMG, Mercedes-Benz's uh, whole super fast division is going to talk about that and we're going to find out how sales are doing are we getting back to normal are we still way below normal what are car companies doing to help us buy vehicles and how are we doing in buying them uh, tyson jomini is going to be here from jd power and associates to go over some of those numbers and to find out what's hot what's not and exactly what people are buying and i'll tell you it's been as bad as 90 percent down in some areas but uh, we're getting back to normal. I think you'll be surprised. I had a look at the sales figures and some places are doing really well. What vehicles are people buying? What's the number one? What's the number two? What's the number three? We'll have all of that coming up. You're listening to Our Auto Expert.
Your smart speaker can be your radio. Just say, hey Google, or hey Alexa, or hey Siri, play our auto expert show. Oh, they're all doing it now. I have to turn all my phones off here. Oh, look, <laughs> it did it. Here's the podcast. Hi, our order. Oh, wait. There you go. So I had to put it on pause. Uh, hours of endless fun awaits you. I'm Nick Miles. This is our auto expert. Uh, two million Americans get their automotive news here daily. Um, Jen, did you like the car that we uh, played with last week? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was so worth it. <laughs> uh, we had a very beautiful Lamborghini Huracan Evo rear-wheel drive Spider, which is one of four members of the family. Um, but I did have a mileage cap on it, which everyone likes to rub it in. Uh, but uh, By the way, the mileage cap on the vehicle, I'm only allowed to do a certain amount of miles. The uh, odometer only goes a certain amount of miles if you go forward. I know. Did you try the backwards Oh, trip? yeah. I drove about 25 miles backwards. Bueller. I actually, <laughs> I think I actually uh, went over the mileage cap. Did you? Well, yeah. you didn't have a big buffer there. No, I didn't. I, but, you know, there you go. Top speed, uh, 0 to uh, 62 miles an hour in 3.5 seconds. And we tried. Top speed <laughs> is 324 kilometers an hour. I have to work out what that is in miles an hour. 610 horsepower. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it makes so much noise. Uh, but I put my other half in the vehicle and uh, with the open air driving. And, of course, I like to change down when you come up to intersections. So you come up to an intersection, you have the paddle shifters going, mm -hmm. and then you change down when the revs are really high, and it goes, blah, 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 blah. And of course, uh, it was like, why are you doing that? It's so loud. <laughs> Do I, I hate this car. What? Like, yeah, but then, but then, like, wanted to be taken to uh, Wendy's in it. Oh, of course. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, yeah, you want to go to Wendy's in it and get food, but you don't want to drive it because it's too loud. I, you know, I, I think these vehicles, they are not so much uh, of a, um, a piece of art. People always see Lamborghinis as art. It's not a piece of art. It is a piece of art, but that's not what it's about. It's a science project. Some of the things that they do in these vehicles have, you know, Lamborghini is part of the VW group. And one of the things that they do is set up these vehicles so... Um, turn my headphones off you know set up these vehicles so you can actually uh have things in them that have never seen in other vehicles and they trickle down into the rest of the vw family which is kind of cool like the vw family gets some of those things that lamborghini have developed especially with their new vehicles they're doing all these hybrid engine things as well so it it's just super beautiful but at three hundred and forty six thousand one hundred and fifty dollars that's actually i think worth more than my house about the same as my house yeah i was gonna say what was your favorite thing on it? I think the sound more than anything else. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just so beautiful. Uh, my, the one I had was yellow, and it has the new yellow seat. They have brand new seats in them mm -hmm. as well. These but you can understand why babies... When the guy came to pick the car up, he, he came in with the trailer. He walked around it and photographed every inch of the vehicle. Oh, yeah. Make sure you don't make, scratch it. Yeah. Uh -huh. so, and he found some scratches on there, but... Uh, the first guy didn't note them when he dropped them off. And I feel like I didn't put any, I mean, I went like a handful of miles mm -hmm. and I mean a handful of miles. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I was always like, oh my God, this is scratched. There you go. Oh, sorry, sir. The wheels are scratched. We have to replace them. There's $12,000. Easy. <laughs> uh, I did have a friend who uh, borrowed a Rolls Royce once and put a nick in the wheel and it was $22,000. Yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> Carbon fiber wheels. That's what you, uh, you know, these things are, are ridiculously amazing. Um, I, can, I, I don't know. if I, I've said this many times, and you may uh, agree with me, Jen, 
There is only uh, there's one supercar that I would actually go out and buy with my own money if I had the money, mm-hmm. which I clearly am not in supercar status because I'm on the radio. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I had the money, well, uh, I would buy a Lamborghini Urus. Ew. The SUV. Really? You would spend that much money on an SUV? Yeah. It's the most amazing piece of Why, machinery. Why? Because your dogs can go in it? No, it's it, it's a two and two. Yeah. It, it doesn't really have the trunk space. It's not like a real SUV. It's just like a race. So what would you buy if you had the money, uh, your own money, if you had it available, what would you spend? Any supercar? You, you can buy whatever you want. What would you spend? Oh, there's so huge of a list on all these cars, but I want the Alpine Concept, the A110. Well, it's a concept. It's not available. I don't care. I want that one. You said. It would cost you millions. Yes, it would. And <laughs> probably not le- you couldn't legally drive it on the road. I can't in Italy. Some, something you would, have to, you would be able to legally drive in the United States. Uh, Don't make me do this to how you. How about a Pagani? Okay, you'd buy a Pagani. I like a Pagani. I've never driven a like Pagani. I've seen them. They don't make them anymore, but I like the Gumfort. Pagani, com- Pagani Comfort? No, it's a Gumfort. Oh, Gumfort. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what that is. Uh, okay. Anyways, I like the Ferraris. I like the Lamborghinis. I have a huge list of cars that I love. I'm, this was gorgeous. I used to be much more of a Ferrari fan. Mm-hmm. But since I've been driving Lamborghinis, um, I'm much more of a Lamborghini fan. I'm, it, it's a toss-up. Really? Yeah. Because I really like... You know the story, right? You know what Frank Sinatra said? No. He said, if you want to be somebody, you buy a Ferrari. If you are somebody, you drive a Lamborghini. And if you own a Rolls Royce... I don't know. He didn't say anything. Well, he needs to come up with something. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, he's not coming up with anything. He's no longer with us. Uh, But it just, you should go look at this car online because it's absolutely amazing. And it's weird Uh, to sit in it because the way the front is, you know, being short and everything, I fit real. You are the car. I fit great in the car. Um, The only thing is, is the way that the hood comes down and scoops, that's, that's really like. Such a weird distance feeling, you know, because it's so wide. And then it's got the little camera in there, and it's like, am I going to go over the line? Am I not going to go over the line? It's hard to tell distance on it. All right. You, uh, you backed it into a parking space for me. Yes, I did. <laughs> you feel good now? You can say you've driven a Lamborghini Huracan Evo Spider. That's my second Lambo I've driven. Oh, is it? Yeah. You drove a Bugatti, too, didn't you? Yes, I did. Ah, so did that? you. Yeah, I did. Like two feet. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I drove the new Land Rover Defender, and I'm one of the only people in the I world know, that's done that. I know. That is so awesome. I'm not supposed to talk about that, by the well, way. Well, aren't they coming out? They're just now. Some of the they're customers. Just being delivered. Some of the customers got the delivery of the Defenders. By the way, I have some news for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say this, but I know it, so I'm going to say it anyway. Ford Bronco. Mm-hmm. July 10th. Mm-hmm. Reveal. That's cool. I'm, I'm more excited about the Hummer. Are you? Oh, yeah. All electric? Yeah. Wait, you? Well, All electric? Are you having a stroke? What's going on? I know. <laughs> Dude, that's so unlike you. Something's wrong. No, I'm just excited to see what it looks like. What are you doing? You, I want my big diesel truck. Or I my don't big, like uh, diesel. My big gas truck. Yeah, you go, gas And truck. now you're telling me you want an electric? I'm just curious to see what it looks like. Aren't you? Yeah, but would you own one? One you have to charge? I, I can't. Know. This is just something. <laughs> what have you done with Jen? Bring her back. What have you done? I don't know. I can't wait till it gets revealed. We test drive it, and then we can figure out. No, like. you electric. This doesn't seem like something. The wrong. NSX is. It's yeah. hybrid. I know. I love it. <laughs> I love that vehicle. Interesting. This is a person I never thought would be into electric I'm vehicles. I'm not. I don't know. Wait I, till you drive the new Ford Marquee. 
you probably lose you'll lose it it's uh. amazing see so this is what i was expecting from <laughs> someone electric uh. do you like the chevy bolt See? The, the bolt. Mm. Uh, mm. See, they are the same people that are going to be making their GMC Hummer. What? What the fuck? All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about something that's uh, <laughs> that's not. It's the AMG E53 Coupe and Cabriolet next on Our Auto Expert. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert podcast. Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast, this is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on smart speaker, and on smartphone. This is our auto expert, where two million Americans get their automotive news daily. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with truck girl, Jen. Um, There's no secret. If you follow the show, if you know anything about the show, if you listen to the show on a regular basis and download the podcast on a regular basis, you'll know I like fast vehicles and that's why this segment is close and dear to my heart Uh, mercedes amgs are one of the most exciting vehicles to drive in the north american lineup of cars available and the e53 coupe and cabriolet is one of the vehicles that i am highly attracted to because i can let the wind rustle through my hair and i can go fast and at the same time be in absolute luxury so (laughs) Brian, uh, I will tell you, too, that uh, we managed to uh, scoop one of the guys that uh, is the, I guess, the knowledge fountain for all AMGs. Brian Cotter joining <laughs> us on the phone. AMG product manager. Uh, are you enjoying, by the way, uh, being the AMG product manager with all these spectacular cars, Brian? Oh, absolutely. It's a, uh, <clears throat> a very exciting time for Mercedes-Benz. And uh, I got into this whole product management gig a couple of years ago, uh, just in time for the launch of all of these 53 models and two of which we're talking about today. Um, and it's, it's been pretty cool to be part of the process of getting these out into the marketplace and, and uh, talk to people like you who uh, are a fan of fast cars. And uh, in this case, uh, a really cool coupe and a cool drop top as well. So let's talk a little bit about uh, how the nomenclature works at AMG from Mercedes-Benz. Sure. So we have, uh, you know, when you have, you'll have the GLS and then you'll have uh, an engine choice, but you can have something like uh, an E, an E53, an E, f- uh, well, technically you have uh, 30, 35s, 43s, 53s and 63s, which are all part of the AMG family. Is that right? Am I getting it right? That, yep, that's correct. And then even within those different uh, nomenclatures you mentioned, some of them uh, also have S variants. So you can get, for instance, an E63, and you can get an E63S in some markets. Now, in the U.S., we really don't have many uh, duplicate models like that. Uh, you do for the C-Class, for instance, or you can get a C63 and a C63S. But for the E-Class family, we try to keep it a little bit simpler. And, uh, yeah, so for the E, we offer a E53, uh, which is an AMG. And then if you get a sedan or a wagon, you can get an E63S, which is pretty cool. So the S really denotes just super jacked up as a part to just <laughs> jacked up, right? <laughs> yeah, you could say that that would be the, uh, the pinnacle of the lineup would be the S model. They've got the most horsepower. Uh, and generally, they have bigger brakes. Generally, they have 
Uh, it's like a, a more premium upholstery. So instead of just regular leather, you get exclusive Napa leather. Just oh. the next level of everything. You're talking my language now, Brian. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say that it's going to be pretty hard to beat, uh, you know, anything to beat the E63S uh, wagon, which uh, still remains probably the journalist favorite vehicle out there. Uh, it's just so unbelievable. But this is a sort of another family member of the of the E-Class. So tell us a little bit about the uh, E53s, uh, the Coupe and Cabriolet, and, and what makes them stand out from the rest of the lineup. Yeah, so the E53 Coupe and Cabrio are, I guess, uh, let's say slightly more lifestyle-oriented versions of the E-Class. They're not quite as hardcore performance as you would have with, like, the E63 sedan or wagon, um, but they give you an opportunity to have uh, all of the luxury that you expect from an E-Class, but in, like, a, a slightly more, let's say, uh, comfortable, uh, I guess, uh, passenger configuration and a little bit more sporty when it comes to uh, dynamics for like the riders, right? So maybe not quite as uh, maybe not quite as capable on the racetrack, let's say, or not quite as suited for the racetrack, but more comfortable for the people inside overall. And they're powered by a, an inline six turbo engine, right? That's correct. It's an inline six cylinder engine, which uses four volt technology. So it's uh, technically a mild hybrid, which is pretty cool. So it has a, a giant uh, electric motor that goes in place of starter motor and alternator. And that electric motor provides 21 horsepower and 184 pound-feet of torque to the engine at very low RPM. So it gives you an extra little boost off the line. And then the, the lovely inline six-cylinder engine picks up after that and uh, goes on to deliver 429 horsepower, which is uh, a considerable figure. It's funny, these days you hear 429 horsepower in an AMG, you're like, wow, that's that's a lot, but we've also got in the 63 models, we've got up to 603 horsepower. So yeah, which is, is uh, which is stupid, way. which is stupid, but at the same time, more fun than I've ever had in my life, I will tell you. And you <laughs> sort of think about that, the horsepower, the, the regular like family sedan might have like 180. So it's like almost exactly. more than three times what a regular family sedan has in the 600 horsepower. Um, the, one of the things I noticed very much with the 48 volt um, uh, engine or motor inside of these vehicles is it really improves the the early zero to 60 times. So that sort of zero to 30 mile an hour um, really sort of gets a huge boost from that power. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of the great thing about electric motors. Electric motors are uh, great for producing torque and they can produce that torque from one RPM. Right. So when you've got this giant electric motor basically attached to the crankshaft of your, your engine, it's able to get that motor, uh, the engine spinning very quickly, very uh, smoothly, and with really no delay whatsoever. So when you're stepping on the gas from a, a full stop, you get instant surge of torque thanks to that motor. And then, uh, of course, almost all engines these days are turbocharged. So as, as the engine speed picks up, the turbocharger is able to spool, you could uh, create more power, and uh, you surge on to whatever speed that uh, you're trying to accelerate too. Now, uh, the transmission in this, is this the, uh, the, the nine-speed? That's correct. It's a torque converter nine-speed transmission. Uh, it's a, a unit that we developed a few years ago. It's been adapted slightly uh, for this engine. If you think about it, this giant electric motor that takes the place of the starter motor and the alternator, it goes between the engine and the transmission. So the bell housing of the transmission is, is a little bit bigger to adapt this giant motor, but uh, it, it's a uh, transmission that we developed, I want to say, in 2016 or 17. It's not only lighter than the previous uh, transmission, which was a 7-speed, 
but it also has two more gears. So it, it, it's a lightweight, very efficient, very high-tech uh, transmission. I feel like I saw you demonstrate this uh, when we met in Napa Valley and you did your presentation. Was that one of the things we talked about? Yes, it is. Yeah, I, I, remember, it, I remember it well. Uh, let's talk it's about... Go on. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, it's funny you're talking about that event. Uh, so that was when we officially launched the 53 model just a couple of years ago. And just to show you how fast our product development is going these days, that was the launch of the vehicle maybe two years ago, and we're already faced with it. So we're, uh, we're moving along at a, uh, a very rapid pace uh in the product development side. which i like by the way because um when you change vehicles from year to year i can pick them out i'm useless now i mean i was I remember as a kid i could tell you what car it was just from the headlights behind us but now as an adult i'm like uh, what year is that i can't tell anymore because uh things remain the same so much so it's kind of yeah. interesting uh let's talk a little bit about this well the sound does it have that uh, amg gurgly, beautiful, rough sound in the 53? It sure does. And it's funny, you usually think of an inline six engine as smooth and uh, like mellow, but with the, the 53 models, especially if you have the AFG Performance exhaust, uh, it has a, a really great exhaust note. And uh, you can hear it especially well with the, the Cabrio, of course, the top down. But even in the coupe, uh, it, it's definitely a noticeable sound. It'll still burble on downshift. Uh, it still has a really great overrun sound. That um, it's not quite the V8 sound that AMG uh, traditional customers are used to, but it sounds really, really interesting. And you have to think, uh, all of this uh, sound engineering is is kind of like a a whole art into itself. It's pretty easy to get a, a V8 engine to sound good. The firing order makes for a good exhaust note. You're able to have some pretty cool uh, like header setups and whatnot on the car. For an inline six, it's it's harder for these sound engineers to make the sound sound great. So it's not often you hear either a V6 or an inline six to have a really distinctive, uh, pleasant sounding note. And I think we we totally nailed that in my in a, on the 53 model. I have not met an AMG that I didn't like the sound of. So I think you're doing pretty well so far. Uh, they all sound amazing. Technology has always been something that uh, you've excelled at. I remember driving the E-Class in Canada uh, when you introduced the Coupe and, and first discovering Car to X, I think it's called. Uh, this is where different Mercedes cars can talk to each other and let them know about hazards on the road ahead. Uh, is that still a feature of this new E-Class? Yeah, it sure is. And when you uh, first drove that E-Class, it was really Mercedes to Mercedes. It's, uh, and there weren't too many cars on the road at that time. It was a brand new feature that, that we launched that on. Now there's, uh, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of Mercedes that are all able to communicate with each other. So the, the amount of data that goes from car to car or car to X is just astonishing. And now the U.S. has infrastructure that's starting to communicate with the car as well. So you have uh, in some cities, traffic lights that are able to speak uh, to the cars. You have emergency vehicles in places like Las Vegas that can speak to the cars. So now, this car infrastructure has grown exponentially over the last couple of years, and uh, it's become a bit more mainstream. We're even starting to see some partnerships and uh, cooperation from other OEMs that are integrating the same type of technology in their future. I love it. I'm, I'm super excited about it. I will say, uh, does this have what three words available in it as well? Or is that is that coming or does it have it already? 
no, it, it does have it. Uh, you know, the the facelift, the, the coupe and cab have the our Mercedes-Benz user experience and the UX system, and you are able to use what three words to navigate. Um, it's a system that I, I'm sure your audience is aware of it, but uh, if they're not, basically, instead of having to memorize an address, like you don't have to memorize 348, Paul Oaks, whatever the address is, you can memorize three random words, and it might be like balloon tree fence, and that would be the address to your house. So it's much simpler than the traditional. Uh, I, I'm saving it. I'm saving it, Brian, because we're going to have the guys from What Three Words on coming up in the next few weeks. So I'm super. The best technology ever. Brian Cotter from Mercedes Benz. He's in charge of the AMG product line. We'll be right back. You're listening to our auto expert. Catch up with previous episodes of the show, our website, ourautoexpert.com, where you can hear all past shows, see our automotive videos, and read insider car stories about your next ride. Our Auto Expert is where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. Uh, you can help find us at ourautoexpert.com. Just type it into that little web browser, and there you go. Uh, one of the things that, to me, is super interesting is seeing how America recovers in the car industry and what's going on, who's buying, who's not, what vehicles are hottest and what aren't. Uh, Tyson Jomini joining us. He's the Vice President of Data and Analytics at J.D. Power and Associates. Uh, first of all, Tyson, uh, I looked at the numbers from this week. A little bit of a sigh of relief looking at uh, people seem to be getting back to buying vehicles yeah that's right nick and uh thanks for having me back yeah this this past week was was the best week really since the covid crisis began in the auto industry sales were off only 12 percent from forecast so it, it was a fantastic week uh and that result helped push all of may to a decline of only and i put that in quotes 17 percent from last year so overall things are looking up uh, do you think now this might be speculation and may not be based in numbers, which is obviously your your is based your reports are based in actual numbers? But uh, do you think some of that is because of pent up demand for people not being able to get to dealerships, and now suddenly there's sort of it's almost like the dam opened and the floodgates opened a little bit, and uh, and some people actually went out and bought because they could, or do you think this is a pace that's going to be set for the coming weeks? No, I, I think there's actually ample evidence to support that a lot of this is pent up demand from March and April. A lot of consumers coming back uh, now for the first time. So I, I don't think that it's it's a necessarily sustainable pace for for a while. Uh, at JD Power, we're only going out to January in our or sorry July in our forecast. Pardon me, um, because there's so much uncertainty that's out there. So we have risen to a, a fairly high level. We did see a lot of pull-ahead demand here in the last week of the month with a lot of these amazing incentive deals had. They're expiring. So now in June, many of these fantastic incentive offers have gone away. And so we saw a lot of consumers and dealers really working hard to close May quite strongly. Uh, let's talk about regions of the country. Uh, some regions did really well. Uh, I noticed in Florida they had a few spikes, but other regions still finding it a little hard to get back to normal. Yeah, and, and for the most part, uh, we're, we're seeing strength across the country. You know, there's about 200 markets or so that we track, and nearly 175 of them were doing better last week. So there's a lot of strength throughout the country. The strongest parts continue to be Sunbelt markets from, from Phoenix through Charlotte and Tampa and Miami, 
through through other parts of the South, like Dallas and Houston, are fantastic markets. But even some of the hardest hit areas, like New York, like Detroit, are, are performing very well. Nick, I mean, we're we're seeing New York sales off only twenty percent from forecast now. Detroit is off only fourteen percent. I mean. At the height of coronavirus, these two markets were essentially selling zero cars every week. Uh, let's look at what people were interested in buying or what people were actually purchasing. Uh, it's it, looking at the numbers, looking at the vehicles that uh, people are buying. SUVs and light trucks seem to be really the core of what America's into. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the way it's been, right? Um, but this past week, we saw an all-time record for SUV sales, or or mix of industry sales, rather. Fifty-five percent of all sales were SUVs in the week, um, which which we've never seen anything like it. Uh, trucks continue to do quite well. In fact, um, they sell about the same right now. Pickup trucks sell comparable to sedans, hatchbacks, everything that we call cars. Um, so we, we are seeing a lot of incentives on truck and SUV side, some big offers that were out there, like 0% APR for 84 months. And cars, just they don't have that. Cars can't afford it. They don't have as much profitability. So consumers are naturally following the money. But this SUV switch has been going on for a long time. I know I talked to the president of uh, Jeep this week and he told me that in May they were just 30 Wranglers short of their best month ever. So definitely uh, there's a lot of hot sales in those SUVs and light trucks. But it seems like uh, when I look at the cities specifically uh, that we have presence in for the radio and TV, uh, it looks like Honda seem to be doing pretty well. I see in Sacramento the number one vehicle is the Civic. In Chicago it's the CRV. And it's not very far down the list when we start to look at these other vehicles. So people, if they're buying not SUVs and not buying trucks, they seem to be going for sensible, long-term, reliable vehicles. There's very little, uh, I guess, volume in in those sort of luxury and and sort of aspirational buys. Well, Honda has actually been increasing their incentives uh, almost across the board. So if, if you're someone looking at Honda, cross-shopping Honda, you're seeing offers uh, that you probably have never seen before. In fact, I mean, we're, we're seeing that in many places. Uh, you mentioned the Wrangler. Uh, it had employee pricing for all uh, discounts on Wrangler, which we've never seen before, certainly not in this generation of Wrangler. Uh, vehicles like Tacoma from uh, the midsize pickup from Toyota, having incentives that, that we really don't see too often. So you're seeing brands and, and vehicles that, that don't often have incentives get big, big offer values. Um, so we do see a lot of that, uh, consumers following that money. That said, uh, premium sales, you know, BMW and Mercedes and, and Porsche and on, are now back way above pre-virus levels, as a matter of fact. So um, we've seen a lot of, of good 0% APR offers on 72 months on premium, and we're seeing a lot of consumers switching to premium, actually, as a result uh, of, of some pretty strong offers and good deals. What about the used car market? Because we were expecting 500,000 vehicles from uh, Hertz to be thrown into the market at some point, but it seems to be maintaining itself. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Is used is is doing so well, and, and, and naturally we would expect that. It with a, an economic uh, crisis in the country, um, a lot of consumers have shifted over to to getting a used vehicle, and a, some of that is driven by the fact that inventory at dealerships is so tight. 
Uh, we've been selling at a rate, you know, like I said, nearly uh, what we would have expected to sell this time of year, and yet production is just a trickle. I mean, it's just coming back online. So every vehicle we sell is coming straight out of inventory. So things are getting tight, and so consumers, you go over to a dealership, and if you don't find what you want on the new side, well, there's a lot of really good used vehicles, low mileage, with, with the highest quality we've ever seen at J.D. Power. They're waiting for you. So if you don't find what you want on the new side, don't, don't you know, not consider a used vehicle because there's a lot of good deals to be had there in vehicles. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. This is Our Auto Expert Radio Show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can also start a conversation with us, ask a question, just direct messages at Our Auto Expert on any of the social media channels. It's where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. Uh, he joins us every week, Anton Warman. He's an independent analyst and investor, and he always has the latest background in what's going on in the automotive industry. You can read it all at Seeking Alpha or The Street, where he publishes most of his articles. So, Anton, let's dive right in with Tesla. Uh, we're getting automotive reports on how vehicles did, uh, how brands did, what sales looked like in April. How did Tesla fare across the globe? Yeah, so we finally have final numbers for the month of April. So mind you, we are already past May, but we only have main numbers from some countries, but not all of them. But the final numbers from all countries came in for April and on a worldwide basis as a percentage of all EVs and the definition of electric vehicles here is any car that plugs in has a plug to them. Uh, so that includes both battery electric vehicles, pure ones, as well as plug-in hybrids. Tesla had a global market share uh, on a unit basis of 13% uh, on a worldwide basis. And in Europe, where we only have reliable data on the Model 3, which is well over 90% of what they sell anyway, there's very little Model S and Model X sales going on in Europe. Uh, the market share in April was 8%. So Tesla's market share is um, not maybe as high as some people think when they think about Tesla being a leading player in um, in EVs. They are certainly a leading player. They're not a dominant one in the sense that the nature of this market is simply that it's very fragmented. If you think about the overall car market, Toyota makes barely just over 10 million cars per year. That's what they did last year and have done for the last handful of years and that's in a market that has about 100 million vehicles unit uh, total for the whole market so the largest player toyota and volkswagen just about the same size each have about 10 10 and a half percent of sales and tesla in the ev world is uh, roughly around that level in the site that tiny tiny group of vehicles called evs and of course that may change as well i think they were hoping for better performance from the model y although that production is still ramping up right well, the Model Y is ramping up nicely, as far as we know, in the sense that production started uh, about five or six months ago in California for the Model Y. But uh, they, will, they will also have production of the Model end of this year. So uh, you have two factors making the Y. So production is not really the issue for Tesla when it comes to the Model Y. The question is really the demand, because many of the people that would have definitely bought a Model Y, guess what they did over the last two years? Yeah. They bought a Model 3 instead. Right, <laughs> so, right. you know, the, 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 the Model Y and the Model 3 are for, 
for a lot of people, they're close enough in the sense that if you bought one of them, and if it's not the one that you may not have bought in hindsight three or two years into the future, well, that'll, that'll probably be enough for you for the next handful of years. So right. the issue with Tesla and the Model Y is that the Model 3 came first. And when the Model 3 came first, they sold uh, over 300,000 of those units on a worldwide basis. And uh, lost players uh, would have... Uh, would have gone with the Model Y, but now they can uh, afford to wait quite a long time before they uh, make such an additional shift. Right. Uh, Tesla have teased a lot of vehicles uh, coming in the future, including a new high-performance uh, sports vehicle and, and whichever it may be, uh, and the truck as well. Do we hear any more about that, or we're we just in this holding pattern? Well, so on the semi-truck, the big one, the big rig, the 18 million, the 80,000-pound thing, uh, it's been delayed uh, twice now. It was supposed to be in the production in 2019, then they said 2020, and now it's really 2021. The pickup truck, uh, they, they said from the beginning, was going to come in the fourth quarter of 2021, and they haven't changed uh, any information on that, so there's no change on that. The Roadster, which was going to arrive in in this year, is now you know, sort of at best-case scenario, maybe if they get lucky, 2022. So there have, certainly have been some push-ups. Uh, let's talk about what's going to happen to Tesla when some of these other electric vehicles hit the market. Uh, it looks like Nissan's new Aria is going to start arriving very soon. This is their first uh, SUV BEV um, 2021 production model. Uh, is it likely to impact Tesla very dramatically? I think it will definitely impact Tesla because I mean, you've got to think about the, the concept vehicle there called Aria. It may get a different name by the time this thing actually launches. They will have the final unveil here in July, just about a month or so from now. And um, this is a crossover, kind of like a rogue, the center market, the thing that most people want. And you should really look at this as the replacement of the Leaf. So there will be other variants of this platform in the, a few years from now. But the first one that will hit the market is the one that is most likely to be the most popular form factor. And it will be produced in three factories, one in Japan, one in Tennessee, and one in the United Kingdom. And uh, being in the center of market, they could get a very good volume from that type of vehicle, which basically is very similar to a Tesla Model Y. So a production is set to start here sometime this fall or late this fall. And uh, should be in the U.S. dealerships in uh, just a little bit over six months from now, probably very beginning of, uh, of next year. So this is going to be in a very exciting and important product for Nissan. Uh, Nissan also expected to uh, reveal a new Rogue as well. Uh, in fact, I think the video from Nissan showed that, that pretty much every vehicle in their lineup was going to get a refresh in the next 12 months. They, of course, announced that they were going down from 69 models, I think, to 55, reducing their uh, worldwide production from 7 million to around 5 million vehicles and closing Barcelona. But it looks like the American factories might benefit since uh, more vehicles will be made on U.S. soil now. Yeah, I mean, the situation here with Nissan is that they have a few key models that are uh, in due, due not, not just for a refresh, but for an all-new replacement. But the first at the top of that list here is the Rogue, which is imminent. And then we have the Pathfinder, which is a big vehicle for the U.S. and North American market overall. And Pathfinder is not really a vehicle that is sold in its current format much outside of North America because it's a very large vehicle, and those types of large SUVs just don't 
sell nearly as well in Asia and Europe. But the Pathfinder will come also soon enough. So, yeah, between that and the uh, Frontier pickup truck and a few others, uh, Nissan is certainly going to have a busy year coming up here, and uh, hopefully they'll be able to uh, stem the bleeding a little bit. But I think still the Aria will be the one that people will look at with the greatest amount of excitement because this uh, really moves Nissan from being a uh, has-been pioneer in EVs with the Leaf and the NV200 several years ago to a place where they will be now in the center of the market with a product that actually, uh, believe it or not, will look good, not just like the old Leaf, which most people didn't think looked so good, to put it mildly. Now, uh, that really moves us nicely, talking about the Pathfinder, into talking about three-row SUVs. Uh, They seem to be unbelievably popular in the United States and demonstrated by things like uh, Hyundai's Palisade, which now seems to have had its best month ever. That's right. So the Hyundai Palisade, being a sister vehicle to the Kia Telluride, uh, was launched just a couple of months after uh, the Telluride in, in, uh, you know, in the middle of last year. And uh, the issue with it uh, here is that um, the Telluride is made in the United States, whereas the Hyundai Palisade is made in Korea. And, of course, the uh, factories in Korea resume production a lot earlier than the factories here in the U.S. that are just basically starting to ramp up right now. So in the month of May, as it turns out, these vehicles that were made uh, in Korea and a couple of other vehicles that are also made in Asia were able to have good supplies into the U.S. market, whereas all other three-row SUVs that are made in North America and in Europe had very low sales, not just because of low demand, but because they had no inventory. So uh, uh, this benefited the Hyundai Palisade the most, but even the Mazda CX-9, which a lot of people tend to forget about, the Mazda CX-9 is made in Hiroshima, Japan, and they were up 21% also in the month of um, May, year over year. But the Palisade sold three times as many units in May as the sister vehicle, the Kia Telluride, whereas in almost all previous months, they had been neck and neck. So that really tells you what it means to be shut down versus not being shut down. Why do you think Americans are so excited about three-row SUVs? It just seems to be an an inatiable appetite. Yeah, so here's the thing. The American market historically has been one of very rugged vehicles, pickup trucks and body-on-frame SUVs. We were all about Jeeps and very militaristic type of creations. Whereas in Europe, people were more into these people carriers, these multi-van people carriers that were what we really call minivans in the U.S. But uh, in the U.S., they became culturally associated with soccer moms, and somehow that was not very popular among soccer moms. Actually, men tend to like them more. (laughs) They didn't have so much stigma with them, but the bottom line is that the minivan has become out of fashion. They've been declining in sales for over 10 years straight, more or less. And instead, what we do here in America is that we buy three-row SUVs because it is the closest thing that we can get to a minivan uh, with something that has a little bit of pretense of being something off-road and slightly more rugged. Uh, And that's it's really an image thing when you think about it. I think uh, one of the vehicles, it's interesting to see that people like the Atlas uh, go in both a two and a three row and they still think the two row is going to do pretty well. But the three row seems to be remaining really, really strong. Uh, But vehicles like the the VW, um, the the next one down, when you talk about the Atlas being the bigger, bigger one, but the Tiguan coming in a two or three row, uh, America still buying those sort of uh, smaller SUVs that come in three rows, or do they really want and need the space? 
You know, the the issue with SUVs is, is really uh, simple when you think about it. It's a it's an almost an infinite uh, shade of grace in a grayscale, and that is that different people have different needs and preferences, and you're simply going to find that there will be a market for all the steps from A to Z. So you can slice uh, these sardines as thinly as you want almost. I mean, Mercedes and BMW started when they came up with this coupe-like uh, SUVs like the X6 right. and the uh, X4 eventually right. and the uh, various uh, whatever Mercedes called there. So they were the first to start those things several years ago, but uh, everybody else is going to some variant there. Stand by, Anton. We'll be right back. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Your smart speaker can be your radio. Just say, hey, Google, or hey, Alexa, or hey, Siri, play our auto expert radio show. And previous episodes of the show will be available. You can listen to all those podcasts. Hour of unendless fun awaits you there. I'm Nick Miles. This is your very favorite car radio show, OurAutoExpert.com. Truck Girl Jen is here. Two million Americans get their automotive news daily from Our Auto Expert. Uh, Welcoming 16 new radio stations across the United States. Thank you for joining us for this show. And on the phone with us is Anton Warman. He's an independent analyst and investor. You can read the majority of his stuff at the street or Seeking Alpha. Uh, Anton, we were deep in discussions about three-row SUVs, but big trucks and SUVs seem to be the flavor of the month. Now, we know the new Bronco will be announced on July 10th. We've seen spy shots of it. We've seen camouflage shots of it. What don't we know and what will we know when it gets revealed? Well, first of all, the Bronco comes in two flavors. There will be a body and frame Bronco that will be akin under the skin, maybe a little bit toward the existing Ford Ranger. Secondly, there will be a Bronco light, Bronco Sport, Bronco something that essentially is um, an escape, a Ford Escape with a different top hat and some reinforcements. So there there will be uh, definitely, uh, they'll definitely be milking the Bronco name for all it's worth. And uh, I think the light one is supposed to go into production a little bit, bit before uh, the heavy-duty um, body-on-frame one. So the light one goes into production this fall, and uh, the full-size body-on-frame Bronco not until about December at the earliest. So... That's the timeline, and the full-size Bronco, the body-on-frame one, clearly is going to go up against the Jeep Wrangler in many ways, uh, but not to be an exact one-for-one, but but really go more more against that vehicle than just about everything else. And uh, and these vehicles are also have will have been delayed. Certainly, the full-size Bronco was announced in uh, January of 2017, and they kept saying it was going to be out. Um, you know, already in a long time ago, frankly. And uh, so these will represent some delays from the initial production schedule. All right. There are, of course, a lot of uh, other vehicles coming out on the truck side. Uh, we will find out this month about the new F-150. When I say new, it's refreshed F-150. What can we expect there? I think the single most important thing there is probably that they will have a hybrid variant uh, so that you can use power tools and so forth a little bit more aggressively pulling power from the vehicle in the back uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that will certainly help some workers out in the field. Uh, the other thing is that in terms of the interior, I think the main mission that Ford has here is that they will try to catch up with and hopefully even exceed the fact that Ram uh, leapfrogged the entire industry two years ago when they came out with the current generation 
Ram 1500, which everyone in the industry widely recognizes as having by far and away the most upscale and sophisticated interior. So I think that is the mission for not just Ford, but also for a GM in due course. Uh, let's talk about that because GM dealerships cleaned out almost completely dry of Silverados. A new supply can't arrive quickly enough. Is that new supply coming? Are they back up to speed at the factory? Well, uh, they're trying to ramp that up as we speak. So you know how it goes. It's going to be another month or so before most dealers see uh, any of these vehicles. So I would say that you're, if you're looking to buy a Silverado, uh, you'd better hurry up and get a deal done before there's anything left. I've certainly done a few checks out there, and they're running super, super dry on Silverados out there in retail, and uh, uh, you're going to have to make some huge compromises about the configurations if you're planning on getting one in the next 30 days. Are we going to see some of those great incentives that are right now on the hood of all trucks in America? Are we going to see some of those disappear, or are people going to start to shop different brands? Well, the biggest question is really why they haven't disappeared already, because this problem started appearing about a month ago. So why didn't uh, GM and maybe others uh, pull these Incentives. I mean, they were getting over $6,000 per truck or 0% financing for 84 months. As they saw approximately 30 days ago that these inventories were sinking like a stone, why didn't they pull those incentives already? They don't need them to sell these vehicles right now. Now, with such low inventory in all the three American major brands, uh, that's Ford, Ram, and of course General Motors, their GMC and their Chevy brand, does that help uh, Toyota and Nissan, who also have uh, midsize and heavy-duty trucks? Are they likely to see more sales in their department because people aren't finding what they want in the American lots? It sure can certainly, certainly help them a little bit, but if you think about, say, the Toyota Tundra, it is to some degree... Uh, a little bit of also a lifestyle-type truck in a way that perhaps the big three trucks are not in the sense that, uh, you know, if, if you're a specific type of worker who need a specific type of configuration, you're going to find that you can uh, style and specify both the engine choices, bed lengths, or box lengths, uh, cab lengths and widths in, in the big three to a far greater extent than you can uh, with with to the Toyota and Nissan full-size pickup trucks. So you may not be able to get exactly what you want there, but in a situation where Ford, Ram, and um, Chevrolet slash GMC are sold out, then maybe you have to make some compromises and go buy yourself a Toyota Tundra or Nissan Titan instead. All right, so we are pre- we talked to J.D. Power and Associates earlier today. Tyson from J.D. Power told us that uh, America is doing a lot better than expected. In some places, just down for May itself, down about uh, 14 to 18 to percent, and some markets even into the positive in the Sun Belt. Uh, are we expecting to see uh, those numbers continue, do you think? Or do you think that this is just pent-up demand for people not being able to shop in April and May? It's mostly the latter because, first of all, there's a huge catch-up trade here where people just weren't able to. They were a bit shell-shocked after about the middle of March where about 30 days went by and everybody froze. So that's a big issue. And then you have the supply issue, which is not over yet because even though they start building these trucks 
now, that means that many dealers around the country, especially in some rural areas, it might be well over 30 days before they get them. So I think that we're going to look in, we're going to be looking at uh, June being a weaker month, and I think July may have some difficulty as well. So I'm, I'm not an optimist here in terms of the uh, sales here, but uh, yes, uh, a few areas of the country have come back, and the, the, the crisis was not as big in some of those places. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, we still have a big issue on our hands here, and this is not over, and I think June will not be a great month. All right, we're just hoping those sales get back. We were expecting a huge dump of uh, used cars from the uh, from Hertz, around 500,000, but used car prices still holding steady. Are we seeing some of those filter in? Yeah, I, I'm a little bit baffled as to why we haven't seen more pressure there because uh, not just Hertz, but also the other fleets, uh, rental and otherwise, uh, dumping uh, very large quantities, like in, in grand total, I would say it's close to a million uh, vehicles on the road here uh, into the market uh, in the next couple of months. I mean, really ought to put some pressure on things. But maybe it is the case here in the very short run that because of supplies of new vehicles are limited, that they find a bid for these things. But right. it has to impact, uh, I think, the market here. And I think uh, they it's just probably just going to happen over a slightly more drawn-out period than we first assumed right. uh, way, way over a month ago already. Anton Wallman, independent investor and analyst. You can read his stuff at the street or Seeking Alpha. OurAutoExpert.com, the website. Read more, hear more, and view more right there. You've been listening to Our Auto Expert with Nick Mile. Find all the show episodes at OurAutoExpert.com. Please follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OurAutoExpert. And message us for a quick and witty response. 